for the adventurous, for the backbone of America, for those who rise early and rest not, for the weary traveler. Welcome to the Squatch Wrist Trucking Podcast, where we dive into the world of trucking. Whether you're just starting or a seasoned vet, join us on this adventure. We're journeying into the heart of trucking, where legends are born and the asphalt stretches into the unknown. This is where bravery and freedom collide, where truckers aren't just truckers, but explorers of the vast, untamed highways. So strap in and buckle up, because you're about to get squatched. Hey guys, welcome back. Episode 6 of the Squatcherist Trucking Podcast. I'm your host, Dakota Kaufman. And in this episode, we're going to talk about starting a trucking business. And uh, we hope this video can give you some insight and some tips on starting your own company and fulfilling your dreams. Let's get into it. So there can be a lot of steps starting a trucking business. It can be complicated. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of regulations, a lot of laws. There's insurance. There's all kinds of things that go in to starting a trucking business. And uh, so we're just going to dive in here. First thing we're going to talk about today is conduct market research. All right. So maybe maybe you kind of figure out what you're going to be hauling, uh, that niche, right? Um, so is it going to be reefer goods? Is it going to be just a drive-in? Is it going to be intermodal and UIIA stuff? Or what's it going to be? So that's one thing to think about. Um, you want to do all this research on the front end and just make sure that you're prepared and that you kind of know the direction and the plan that your business is going to head. But you're going to want to consider a lot of factors while you're doing your research. What's the competition look like? Um, is it just a saturated field? Like, for instance, drive-in is saturated, right? There's Everybody drive, does drive-in. Um, it seems like it's a, it's a low entry, low barrier of entry. And so we'll get into some of that too here in just a second. But there's lots of... Um, when you're doing this research, there's lots of websites that you can go into and you can find like the weekly average for loads um, or monthly averages for loads. And so you can kind of go through there and, and look at those things and say, huh, well, reefer goods are continuously steady, right? That's a good rate and it's it's steady while it's doing it. Um, so that's one thing that you can look at. You go on those load boards as you're, as you're researching this stuff and kind of look at what's steady what's paying the best, that type of thing, and kind of make an educated decision from there on what equipment you're going to buy, whether it's going to be a trailer, uh, a drive-in trailer or a flatbed trailer or, you know, a container trailer, whatever it is that you're kind of wanting to pursue, you can make some educated decisions off of that research that you're doing. But in essence, you essentially want a specialization when you're doing it, right? Like you want to specialize in reefer. Um, you want to specialize in UIA, especially starting out. You just don't have enough resources to spread everything out and just be a, a catch-all for all the loads. You want to have a specific thing that you can do really, really well and get paid really well for. So when you're looking at niches and, and certain things that you kind of really want to start in, some of the most lucrative are, number one, is, is reefer. Any, any refrigerated goods hauling is, is very, very good starting out. It's, it's stable. You can find consistent loads, and the rate per mile is, is usually very, very good. If you can get all the placards and you have enough experience, hazmat hauling is a great one to get into. But there's a lot of barriers when it comes to hazmat and a lot of insurance regulations and laws and things like that. Um, and so that would be kind of one of those things that if you have experience already hauling hazmat, yeah, go after it. But hazmat can be a very precarious one to kind of go after. And so that's, that's something that you would want to research, right, to make sure that you're ready for hazmat. Hauling for mining industry, if you live in a place where mining industry is a big thing, um, those can be very, very steady loads and, and consistent loads. And basically the economy has to tank before, you know, the mining stuff kind of slows down. But even when the economy does go down, 
mining is always going to be an essential thing. So uh, mining is a good niche to get into as well. Um, and this is kind of going hand in hand with um, with hazmat stuff, but tankers, you know, like fuel tankers, oil tanker, petroleum tanker, that type of stuff, um, you know, it can be can be good money. But it's a specialization, and so you're going to want to make sure that you have all the right placards and all the right uh, licensors and uh, licensure and all that stuff. So you want to make sure that you have all that in order. And like I said, same with hazmat. You want to make sure that you have that experience to kind of guide you along the steps because if you make mistakes there at the beginning, it can just – it can run a new business into the ground, right? It can cost you a lot of money, fines, that type of thing. So you want to make sure that you've done the research and that you're prepared in that aspect of it. And the last niche that we're going to kind of recommend is UIA, intermodal work. Um, we do insurance for all all these types of sorts of things, but uh, and these are some of the most consistent just surveys that we've done and, and reaching out to our, our insureds. Um, UIA is always a top one. Um, port work, intermodal work um, is always a top one, and people love it. It's dedicated lanes. It's You have work every single day when you want it. Um, the ports just have to be completely shut down for you to kind of be out of work, right? And so um, those dedicated lanes makes it makes a huge difference in the beginning steady cash flow that's huge right um we're in it to make money and in the beginning there's a lot of cost going out whether it's equipment and insurance and all this stuff that happens um but steady lanes like like intermodal work um can be a huge huge success for for a new company for sure so what's one of the worst um to start out in what's one of the worst niches or categories um within trucking that you're hauling what's one of the worst ones that you can start out with it's drive-in. Um, and, and there's a couple reasons for that that we'll get into. Um, number one is that uh, everybody can do it. It's a low entry barrier. And it's not a specialization, um, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or whatever. Um, anybody can haul just a drive-in trailer, right? And so it, number one, why it's so saturated is just, it's a low barrier of entry. It's easy f- to start out in. Second thing, uh, drive-in has a lot of competition and big competition from big companies like Schneider and JB Hunt and different things like that. And they have a lot of resources that they can just throw stuff around until they find something that works within that category. Um, and so it's, it's hard to compete in that aspect when you're a one or two unit um, operation because they have so many resources. So that's just another reason that drive-in isn't necessarily always the best option when getting into trucking. And then the third thing, the reason it's not a great to start in and why we don't necessarily recommend it, and it's just oversaturated like we talked about. And what that does is load boards, um, are, you know, that's that's kind of one of the only places that you really find consistent um, drive-in loads. And not in every case, obviously, but for the most part. Uh, and, and, you know, they take a cut, the broker takes a cut, and so now your pay is 30% less, you know, than what it would be. And so drive-in is just so saturated um, that it kind of makes it difficult to be very, very profitable on drive-in stuff. And that is the most important thing in the beginning is being profitable. Um, it's not necessarily a volume thing. It can be in some aspect, right? Um, but if you're just one or two units, you're going to want to be strategic about what load you're taking um, and how much that costs per mile. Like this load is going to cost me X amount per mile. And so I'm not going to make any money by the time I pay a driver or by the time I pay fuel taxes or I have to replace a tire when I'm on the way, you know, different things like that. Um, and so those are things that you want to take into consideration is like, okay, so I, I want to start in a good niche so I can build a good foundation to start my business off of and, and make sure that it's going to be successful. And there's a few things that we'll go over in this video as we go on about cash flow and some stuff like that. And that's one of the reasons that that drive-in is we don't recommend it, right? It, it, does, it doesn't help cash flow a whole lot. 
And so, um, and that doesn't mean we no disrespect towards driving. It's not like it's a terrible thing to do, but compared to if you're going to specialize in something, that's not something to just specialize in, right? You, you want to specialize in intermodal or, uh, you know, petroleum and oil and gas or, you know, hazmat or reefer goods, um, whatever it is, but you, that's what you want to specialize in, right? All right, moving on. You want to understand your market, um, what you're getting into. And this kind of goes back uh, to the beginning when we started in doing that market research. You want to find out the demand for certain types of loads and what they're paying and, and the average rate of all of that. And so you want to make sure that you have all that put together and you want to know the market that you're getting into. If you're going to do reefer goods, you need to you need to do some research on reefer goods. If you're going to do intermodal, you need to do some research on that and find out what they're paying um, and, and all that stuff. But you have to know your market that you're getting into. And as you're researching the market, right, you need to identify potential clients. So as you're researching, you may say, oh, well, you know, such and such company would be good to connect with. They have steady work and they look like a good company. And so as you're doing this research, you want to try to connect with these people um, and say, hey, I'm just starting out, blah, 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 you know, all this stuff that you can kind of put together. And we're going to deep dive into maybe a business plan and some stuff like that, personal resume that you can send to some of these brokers or, or not brokers, but clients that maybe you're wanting to partnership with. Um, and you can you can send them that stuff and, and look professional and look well, well polished. And uh, but yeah, make sure you're researching all this stuff. And as you're researching, finding those partnerships or potential partnerships, um, and that can set you up for success on the back end. Because essentially what you're trying to do is you want to work directly with the shippers, right? You don't want to have to use a broker that takes 20 to 30% um, or use a load board that uses that takes 10 to 15%, that type of thing. If possible, you want to try to establish relationships with the shipper so that you can directly work with them. Um, and it, it increases profitability and it cre- increases the stability of your work overall. Um, but the biggest thing is it helps your cash flow as well. So um, that's something to think about is your ultimate goal is to work directly with the shipper and have a contract directly with them. So guys, the research part of starting a trucking business cannot be overstated. It's it's the most important aspect of you laying a good solid foundation for your trucking business and making sure that it's going to be successful. And so as you're going through these processes, make sure you're doing in-depth research and that you know exactly exactly what you're getting into, exactly what you need to do to get into such and such industry or what you need to do to get into this niche. But make I can't overstate the importance of researching all of that together. And we're going to dive even more as we go through about some more research that you need to do. But at the beginning here, finding out, finding out what you're going to do to be able to create a, a good business plan and, and the equipment that you'll need, drivers, that type of thing. And so the research part of this cannot be overstated. It's super important. Okay. So now you've, you've done the research, you know what you want to do, you know, um, what niche you want to go after, what you want to haul. You've kind of come up with that. But the next thing we need to do is you need to start a business plan. So in this step, we're going to go through everything that you need to include in your business plan, um, to present to potential shippers and clients and referral partners that you may connect with. Uh, so we're going to go through this list and, and give you some, some ideas of, of what should be in, uh, this business plan. So the first thing that needs to be in your business plan is an executive summary. In this executive summary, you need to outline the business and what it does and why it's different, why it's better than such and such. You need to outline yourself um, and why it will be successful. Um, Maybe some past historical successes at your previous job, but you need to have all of that in that executive summary Um, there at the beginning. It's kind of that right, that first tidbit like, hey, this is my business and this is why we're better and this is why we're going to succeed is essentially what an executive summary is. 
So the next thing that needs to be in your business plan is your company description. You're gonna so in this you're gonna describe what your company does. Um, you know, kind of the services that you offer, that niche that you're in, if it's refer, if it's UIA, whatever it is, but you're going to put that in the business description. Maybe you're going to list some of the equipment that you have or stuff that you've invested in technology-wise, that type of thing. But in that business description, in essence, what you're going to want most of the time is just, hey, this is what my business specializes in, and this is what we do, and this is how we got here, that type of thing. Third thing is your market analysis. So like we talked about earlier, um, you know, you want to research the market that you're getting into. So some of the data that you found um, while you're doing that research, you can include in this business plan and say, hey, this is why we came into this market. This is why we've decided to do such and such. And this is why I have this wrote down um, because of such and such stat. And so this is why I feel like we would be a good fit to partner with your company because we can feel, fulfill a gap or whatever it is, right? But you want to be able to leverage that market research that you've done previously um, in securing contracts with the shippers and how you can secure uh, maybe a gap that they're that they're filling right now or a pain point that they're filling right um, and the only way that you know that is by doing the market research and finding that data that hey you know what if if such and such is lacking then maybe I can fulfill it and make it a little better for them in this regard um, and so that's kind of you want to include that is a market research um, in your uh, business plan. That way, whenever you send this to prospective clients, you know, and, and partnerships, that they can say, "Oh, wow, yeah, that does sound good. That's that would be they would fulfill that. They would fill a gap that we're needing or a need that we are are needing to fill." Right. Um, so make sure you include that in your business plan, as that can help uh, kind of leverage some of that market research and make you look more polished, more professional, um, and it gives you some clout when you're talking to these people. Um, you know, and securing contracts with them. The next thing that needs to be in your business plan is how your organization is structured. Is it an LLC? Who are the owners? Uh, you know, professional bios for the owner, probably some stuff like that. Uh, but you want to let them know that, hey, we're an LLC, we're a corporation. This is the ownership structure and these are the owners. And that's essentially all that part does. The next thing that we're going to talk about that needs to be in your business plan is services offered. And so we've already talked about uh, your company description, right? But your services offered is going to be a little bit different in this regard. Um, you're going to dive into exactly what you're doing, um, whether it's LTL or Hazmat or Reefer. You're going to dive into that specific thing. Like, hey, this is what we specialize in and this is what we do and outline all of those things. The company description is just a bio of the company, maybe when it started, the things that you'll kind of be hauling and the, the gaps that you found in your market research, that type of thing. Um, but the services offered is where you're going to really deep dive into, uh, you know, maybe by bullet point, right? You're going to have reefer goods. And then you maybe have a, a bullet point under that that says we have X amount of reefer trailers to fulfill, you know, maximum capacity for your lanes that you're needing to fill, right? Um, and so just kind of those types of things in services offered, you need to outline and detail exactly what services you're offering and be specific about that. Next thing that you want to put in your business plan is your operational plan. Um, so how are you going to run the company? What technology do you use? What software do you use? What is your vision for the company? What is your um, your motto for the company? What is your creed, right? All, you want all those things to kind of be included in the operational plan. Um, and what that does is that kind of gives, again, you clout with the people that you're talking to, trying to present that client relationship that this person, number one, runs a, a tight ship and they know what they're doing. And number two, that they care about the business that they're running and they're professional, right? Um, and it just makes your company look really, really good when you can outline like, hey, this is why my company runs so good because we've instituted X technology and X technology and, you know, and done different things to make us different and better. 
Okay, the next thing that needs to be in your business plan is your financial plan. And this part will be mostly for banks when you're trying to secure funding or loans or whatever. Um, it won't necessarily be uh, for securing loads or partnerships or clients for contracts. This is going to be more for the bank that you're going to trying to secure a loan. So you want to outline your, your vision, your goal, um, some operational costs, the idea that you have to get started, whether it's a truck and trailer, you know, hiring a driver. You want to kind of factor all that into it so that you can say, hey, here's my plan and here's my vision, and this is why I need X amount of money. So you have to be able to put that along with everything else that we've talked about but you want your financial plan to be very clear and concise. That way, nothing gets convoluted with a banker, you know, or anything like that. And they're like, "Well, this just doesn't. This is too confusing, right?" And so I don't see how it can work. You want you want to present it in a way where they're like, "Oh, I can I can see how this can work," um, because you're trying to secure funding in the simplest way possible. Uh, but you want to have that financial outline, that financial plan in your business plan as you as you design this to be able to present to clients, prospective contract clients, and to secure funding as well. All right, guys. Well, that kind of wrapped up uh, your business plan and kind of what all needs to be included in it. The third thing that we're going to dive into um, are legal requirements. And so we're going to go through um, some some DOT stuff, some law stuff, some insurance stuff um, in this segment and kind of dive into each kind of one of those things and uh, let you know what you need in those in those areas. First thing you need to do is you have to register your business, obviously, for tax purposes, and uh, you need to get an EIN. You need to register your LLC. So that's the first step is registering your business, getting an LLC or an S-Corp, however you want to structure that. That's something that you need to know, um, you know for tax purposes later on simplest form obviously is just a individual LLC. That's the easiest thing to do. Um, and you can do that online. There's, there's places that can do that for you. Obviously you can do it yourself, but it's a lot easier if you use somebody like legal zoom or rocket lawyer, one of those to, to start an LLC. Um, so it's a super, that's a pretty easy process. Um, and you can do it yourself or third party that out to another, another company. Um, but that's the first step you'll need to do whenever you're kind of getting all the legal stuff together is, you know, either, File it as an LLC or an S-Corp, one of those things. Okay, the next thing that you're going to want to do when you're going through all your legal requirements is you're going to obviously get a DOT number. Um, you want to do this after you get an LLC. Um, that way you don't have to go back into and update an MCS 150 or anything with your DOT number to change the name. Uh, so after you get your LLC, you've got that all established. You want to uh, you, you want to... You want to go into the US DOT and apply for a DOT number and an MC number. Uh, now you can you can you can third party this out, obviously, um, to a compliance company, or you can do it yourself. It's pretty easy to do. Most compliance companies will charge just a small fee to do it for you. Uh, so if it's a time thing, whatever, um, and you know it, it'll be done right. Obviously, if a compliance company does it, and uh, can be you know lift a little bit of weight off of you. We do have a compliance company that can handle some of that stuff as well. It's called Nano Compliance. And uh, we set up DOT numbers all the time for truckers. Uh, so if that's something you're interested in, I'll, I'll post that in the link below that you can click on and, and email us to, to say, hey, yeah, I'd like to help, you know, get my DOT number set up. And so uh, super easy process. It's pretty simple. Um, but that is the next thing you'll need to do after you get your LLC is now you need to get your USDOT number. 
Okay, the next thing on legal requirements is you just need to check your state regulations to make sure there's not any specific um, license requirements for that particular state. For instance, uh, Texas, when you're getting a DOT number, you also have to get a Texas DOT number and get a form e-filing sent to them from your insurance whenever you're starting that. Um, so that's just one instance, but you just need to double check with your state um, and, and see, you know, with the DMV usually is who it's with and make sure that they don't have any specific requirements just for their state or any license that are needed to be happen or a placard card or whatever that may, that state may need. Just double check that as, after you've got your DOT number to make sure there isn't any other registrations that you need to do with the state side of things. Okay, next thing on legal requirements, you're going to have to have insurance. So you've got your LLC formed, you've got your DOT number, you've got all your state stuff handled. Now you need to get insurance to be able to activate your authority with the FMCSA. Now the FMCSA requires a minimum, uh, you know, in general for most cases, not in every case, but uh, in most cases, just a standard across the board stuff. If you're just getting started, they're going to require 750000 on the auto liability. And so what happens is when you get a policy with an insurance company and they, so what they do is they send what's called a BMC 91X filing over to the FMCSA and that's what can activate your authority. Your authority obviously can't be activated without insurance, but they require a minimum of 750,000. Now, side note on this is that most brokers and most contracts you know, that you'll get will require a million auto liability. So when you're shopping for insurance, you might as well go ahead and shop it for a million um, unless you're just wanting to let your DOT number cook for a little bit. And if you do that, then okay, yeah, maybe you want to do 750 um, just to keep the cost down until you're ready for a million. So that is an option too. But if you're, if you're ready to fire right out of the gate, you might as well start it with a million liability because that's what most brokers and most contracts that you get will require. But the FMCSA only requires a minimum limit of 750,000 auto liability. So in this portion, I'd kind of like to go through um, each type of insurance and kind of what it covers. Uh, so the first thing that we'll talk about is auto liability. The FMCSA, like we said, requires 750,000. And so what does auto liability cover? Auto liability covers, if you're at fault in an accident, let's say you've, you've hit somebody going down the highway, um, auto liability will pay out for the following. For property damage, and that can be a car or a light pole or the side of a building, um, it will pay for medical payments, for the person in that car that you that you hit, um, anything like that. So that's kind of what auto liability covers in its basic form. Um, and that's if you're at fault in an accident. Obviously, if the other person is at fault, then their auto liability covers your property damage and your um, you know medical payments and the cargo and that type of stuff. And so, but yeah, auto liability covers if you're at fault in an accident, you hit somebody, covers property damage, covers medical payments and covers, you know, the replacement of their car, that type of thing. All right. Next type of insurance that you're going to want to get is motor truck cargo. And so obviously that carries the cargo that you're hauling in the trailer. And that, that so one thing of note here is that you want to make sure that you're getting a cargo policy that covers what you're hauling um, because cargo policies, a lot of times will have a, a list of exclusions. So you want to make sure that whatever you're hauling is not an excluded commodity on that list. Uh, so if you're hauling hazmat, there's a lot of carriers that exclude hazmat. Uh, it's usually a specialty cargo policy for hazmat stuff. Um, if it's reefer goods, you want to make sure that you have reefer breakdown attached to your cargo policy. If it's a UIIA intermodal, um, there's some different different endorsements that sometimes they were that, that they require. Um, you know, so that's something you'll need to make sure. And then some carriers exclude UIIA stuff altogether. So double check your policy when you're doing it in your quotes. 
and you're getting those to make sure that what you're going to be hauling is covered in that cargo policy. All right, next part of insurance coverage is medical payments. And so what medical payments covers is, and it's usually a small amount, it's usually five to $10,000 is what it's usually listed at as a policy on the policy. And uh, so what that covers is if you're in an accident, let's say you're at fault. Uh, for an example, you're at fault in this accident, you've hit somebody. So the auto liability is going to pay for their medical payments and for their car and for their property damage. But the medical payments is going to cover your medical payments. Even if you're at fault or you're not at fault, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it will kick in. And so the medical payments, let's say you have you have to go to the hospital because you're at fault in an accident. Uh, let's say the limit's five or $10,000. Usually it's set at enough to cover your deductible for your health insurance. And so let's say you know, your deductible, that's something that you want to know whenever you're quoting your insurance. What What is my health insurance deductible? Is it 10000 Is it 5000 Whatever that is, that's what you would really want to set your medical payments at. Um, and so medical payments just covers medical payments for you, um, not the other person in another car or anything like that. Medical payments is your medical payments insurance. Okay, let's talk about uninsured and underinsured motorists. So let's say somebody has hit you, um, but they don't have insurance. So this is where uninsured and underinsured motors insurance would kick in. Um, it may cover your property damage. It doesn't in every state. Uh, some states don't have uninsured or underinsured property damage. Um, most states do, but some do not. But it would replace maybe, you know, it, it pay for medical payments as well. Uninsured motorist would, that type of thing. Um, it's not going to pay for cargo. Uninsured and underinsured motorist is not going to pay for your cargo. Your cargo policy, what will happen? Your cargo policy is going to pay out on the cargo. And then whoever has your cargo policy is going to subrogate or go after whoever hits you that doesn't have insurance and they'll go to court and all that stuff. But um, the, the uninsured and underinsured motorist most of the time won't pay out on the cargo. It's kind of like a circular, it's dumb, right? But it is something that happens. And so the cargo will subrogate after whoever hit them. Um, and, and that's not in every case. Some cases, uninsured and underinsured motorists can actually cover or pay towards the cargo as well. Um, but if you have somebody that doesn't have insurance at all, uh, then at that point, obviously the cargo is going to have to pay out on the cargo and they're going to subrogate after that person. Okay. Next part in insurance coverage is physical damage. Uh, so the physical damage covers, uh, you know, damage to your truck or your trailer, physical damage. If it's hail damage, if you hit a deer, um, if it's in an accident, whatever, it gets stolen. That's what physical damage covers uh, on fire, that type of thing. Um, so sometimes there will be exclusions on physical damage policies as well. So that's one thing that you want to make sure. And another thing for physical damage is that most trucking policies are what's called scheduled auto and scheduled driver. And so that means for the coverage to apply that a driver has to be listed and the truck has to be listed on the policy for coverage to apply. So that's just something to, to remember, right? As you're maybe switching out a truck or adding drivers is that for that policy to cover them, they need to be listed. But physical damage, all that covers is, is just the physical damage of what may happen to a truck. If it's hail damage, fire, deer, a wreck, whatever it is, or it gets stolen, that's what physical damage would kick in. It's just like the comp and collision on your personal auto policy. Okay, next thing that we'll cover is reefer breakdown. This is obviously obviously a specialized coverage, um, it, and it only applies really if you're hauling refrigerated goods. Reefer breakdown covers if the AC unit um, in the trailer goes out. 
um, and the food spoils or goes bad or whatever, reefer breakdown covers that. Um, and so that's all reefer breakdown is. But like I said, that's a specialized coverage. It would only apply. Okay, the next type of insurance is bobtail coverage. So bobtail coverage will really only apply if you're operating under somebody else's DOT number. If you're operating under your own DOT number, bobtail coverage won't apply. The auto liability and the physical damage is always applicable because you're operating under your own DOT number. And so bobtail coverage applies. So when you're operating under somebody else's authority, so you're hauling a load for this DOT number, when you're hauling a load for them, you're dispatched on a load for them, you're under their liability. You're covered under their liability and their cargo insurance, right? Not necessarily their physical damage. You'll have your own physical damage policy that will be separate from all of that. But the bobtail coverage will apply when you're not dispatched on a load for them. So let's say you just drop the trailer off and you're not dispatched on a load anymore and you pull out of a yard, that's when your bobtail coverage will kick in. And it's auto liability is all it is essentially. Now, there can be physical damage attached to a bobtail policy, but bobtail or non-trucking liability is essentially just auto liability when you're not operating under or hauling under somebody else's authority. Okay, the next type of coverage that we want to talk about is rental reimbursement. Um, I see a lot of policies don't, that don't have this on there uh, for trucking. And for the reason for that is there's uh, some companies just don't offer it, right? Um, but if it, that's something that if you're getting a new policy, ask about that because rental reimbursement can, can be a good, can save you some money, um, especially, you know, and keep you from having a whole bunch of downtime if you have a truck that's been damaged or isn't drivable. If you have rental reimbursement, um, you can go, you know, just like on your personal auto policy, you could go to Enterprise or Hertz or wherever, get a rental car while your truck or car is in the shop. And so it's the same way semis are just more expensive to rent. And so that can save you a lot of money um, if you have rental reimbursements. And, and, and so that's something to look at when you're getting quotes and you're starting a trucking business is maybe check and make sure, if, especially if you just have one or two units, right? If you have a truck that breaks down um, and you only have one truck, you're not able to haul loads. And so rental reimbursement can save your hide in some of those types of situations. Okay, the next type of coverage is trailer interchange. And I'm actually gonna cover two separate things right here, trailer interchange and non-owned trailer physical damage. So in insurance, there's two types of coverage, and that's tr non-owned trailer physical damage and trailer interchange. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about the difference of that, and that's something to remember as you're, as you're hauling loads, maybe for a trailer that you don't have. So trailer interchange usually has a contract associated with it. Um, and most carriers will only write trailer interchange if there is a contract. Non-owned trailer physical damage is a little more broad um, and you don't necessarily have to have a contract with it. But they're in essence the same coverage. It's, a, it's physical damage coverage for a trailer that you don't own that you're hauling a load in for somebody else. Uh, and so as you're doing that, trailer interchange and non-owned physical damage um, are two separate things and so that's just something to keep in mind if you have a contract it's probably going to fall under trailer interchange if you don't have a contract for that trailer it's probably going to be non-owned trailer physical damage okay guys well that kind of wraps up the legal requirement stuff um, i know that can kind of be boring but it's a super important part to kind of know the ins and outs of and make sure you make the right decisions and some of that because it can create a lot of financial pitfalls if you don't make the right decisions. So if you have any questions about the insurance part or anything like that or the compliance part, um, I'll put some links down below. Um, we're obviously an insurance agency. We specialize in trucking, but we also have a compliance company as well um, that can help DOT numbers get set up. Um, we do some compliance stuff for, for fleets and that type of thing. And so I'll link those resources um, below and we'd love to help you out if that's something that you're looking for. 
All right, guys, our next step is going to be how to secure financing. Um, and this kind of goes back to whenever we're creating our business plan and we're having some financial plans and stuff like that. When we're trying to secure financing, your business plan is going to be super, super important. So you want to put a lot of thought into that business plan and how you write it out and how you write out the financial plan and your visions for the company, that type of thing. You want to be very strategic about those things. That way, when you go to secure financing, it alleviates a lot of the headache for some of that stuff. Okay, the first thing that we're going to talk about when we're talking about securing financing is you need to know your startup costs, right? You need to know how much a truck's going to cost, a trailer, um, you know, the fuel. You're going to need to know how much money you're, you're going to need for that first year, right? That's kind of a good threshold is, is figure out how much money you need for that first year to survive because the first year is going to be rough. There's going to be a lot of startup expenses. There's going to be a lot of cash flow issues and slow pays from, you know, from contracts and from brokers and, and load boards and that type of thing. And so you want to make Make sure uh, when you're securing financing that you need to say, hey, I need X amount of money to stay alive the first year. Now, the next step that we'll talk about is finding funding sources. So what what kind of funding sources are you going to use? There's SBA loans. There's, you know, there's different types of places that you can go. Obviously, um, my recommendation is find, you know, a local banker that you have a relationship with already um, and try to secure some financing with them. Give them your business plan, that type of thing. Um, that's usually where we see the most success for for new ventures is, is them going to their local bank and their local banker. Um, now, that's not to say that Bank of America or some of the larger banks aren't able to do it. Um, we just like the, you know, the, the local banker and that you may know. Right. And so, um, that's kind of a preference thing, obviously, but, um, that's just our recommendation is that you find your local banker that you already have a relationship with. Um, and we've seen a lot of success in that. So as you're kind of planning the financial part of your business, one thing to keep in mind is slow cash flow for trucking. Uh, that's a huge issue. Slow cash flow, it is a major obstacle when it comes to to trucking and especially starting up, right? Um, and so slow cash flow is just referring basically to kind of slow pays from brokers and load boards and that type of thing. Usually sometimes can run on a 60 to 90 day cycle. Um, and so a load that you did two, three, four months ago, maybe not four, but um, at least two or three, you know, you'll, you won't have that payment yet. And so that can hurt um, when you're brand new, right? You're needing that cash <laughs> then. Um, and so as you're, so how, how do you kind of prevent some of the cash flow issues? Um, we recommend getting a factory company. Yes, I know they take a small percentage of that, but it eliminates you having to wait 90 days or 60 days to get paid and you can get your cash right then. And cash flow in business, it doesn't matter what kind of industry it is in. Cash flow is king, right? Um, that's, that's one of the biggest aspects of any business is managing the cash flow. Um, I'll just give you an example for insurance and insurance. The month to month can be very, very different, right? You can have a, a good month of commissions and a bad month of commissions, that type of thing. Uh, and really every industry is kind of that way. Um, and so there's going to be ebbs and flows and especially in trucking. And so plan for the cash flow, the slow cash flow. Um, and so the best way to do that is to, to get a factoring company. Um, we have a few that we recommend if you'd like to connect with us we can connect you with with some of our partners that we recommend but um yeah to eliminate some of that cash flow in the beginning and be prepared for that because it will happen there's going to be some slow pays that type of thing and being able to alleviate some of that off of that pressure off of you for the cash flow issue can be a huge hurdle um, and a weight off your shoulders when it comes to starting a new trucking company all right so we've got pretty much everything lined out, right? We've got all the paperwork done, the legal requirements. We've got some financing secured. We know which route we're going to go. We know the stuff that we need to buy. So now we're, we're kind of ready to go look at buying some equipment. Um, 
And this will kind of be based off of exactly what um, exactly what you'll be wanting to buy, like a tractor or you know the trailer. If it's a reefer or if it's UIA, like I said, you'll have to take all that into consideration when you're looking for the equipment to buy. Um, but let's get into some of this in detail and dive into it. Okay, first thing you want to do is you're going to want to figure out if you're going to lease or purchase this, and this will kind of go off of um, kind of what your your whatever your what what you were able to secure for your financing, whether that was a loan or is it going to be better to lease? Um, and so that's kind of something to think about and research. And like I said, that will be dependent on what kind of financing you've secured up to this point. The next thing you're going to want to do, and this pertains to your equipment stuff, is make a maintenance plan, whether it's once a week or twice a month, whatever it is, but make a maintenance plan of some of some sort. That way, when you begin to grow and add drivers and add employees and add trucks, um, you can have a, a good foundation that you've already built on processes and things like that for maintenance plans. Um, and usually what you want to do is, is even though you may be one or two units right now, you want to run it like you're running 20 or 30. That way, whenever you start to experience growth, you're prepared for it. Um, and you're not scrambling trying to you know, get everything put together and all these processes established. If you can establish those things in the beginning where it's a lot simpler and it's just you and, and your truck and a trailer um, and establish some of those processes and guidelines, when you start to grow, it makes things a lot easier to scale. Um, and that kind of leads into our next segment and last segment is develop an operations plan. So in this aspect, I recommend investing in some technology. There's a lot of cool tech out there, whether it's route guidance or, you know, ELDs and load boards, whatever. There's a ton of tech out there that we can use um, that can kind of help you establish a good foundation to make processes and procedures to scale off of and to grow. Um, but but make you an operations plan that will kind of outline how your day to day is going to be ran. Like I said, make a make a maintenance plan. Those types of things will all be in your operations plan and in your standard operating procedures. So start your business from the very beginning. Set a really good foundation for it. That way, when you want to scale and you want to hire drivers and you want to grow, that you can do that. But in the beginning, make that make that operations plan. Write it out. It's going to change, right? It's going to be different ten years from now or five years from now. Shoot, even. A year from now, it's going to be different. But if you can establish that baseline, it sets you up for success and sets a really good foundation to scale off of and to build off of. Next thing, um, the accounting part, the money part. Um, maybe maybe you don't want to hire a an accountant or anything like that yet. You're not quite ready for it. Um, use some software. Use QuickBooks. Use something and make sure that you're doing it. Take take watch YouTube. Right. Take some classes, something to learn how to do some accounting and some back end work. That way you can find out where your money's going, what to do with your money, and make some educated decisions off of that. But invest in some some finance software, whether it's QuickBooks or whatever. Um, use something to be able to manage your money and see where. It's going. And in our operations plan, we need to start creating a culture of safety, just like we talked about in episode five. We need to start creating a culture of safety, um, you know, for our for our company and our episode four. I'm sorry. We covered that in episode four um, where we talked about, you know, creating a, a culture of safety. Right. Uh, and so you want to put that in the beginning. You want to start out from that when you're small and you just have one one or two units and it's easier to make a safety plan and it's easier to hold everybody accountable. Um, those can be very teachable moments um, that you can create stuff based off of what you've been, what you've learned in those experiences. If it was, if it was a wreck or if it was, you know, a tire blowing out, whatever, but those things, those experiences that you can have, um, you know, are a lot easier to track when it's just one or two units and one or two drivers um, than it is when you're trying to scale. And so if you can start those things from the beginning, it can set you up for success later on. All right, guys, kind of the last thing I want to cover is expanding your business the smart way. 
So how do you grow smart? How do you grow the right way? Um, because believe it or not, you can grow too fast. You can grow the wrong way. Um, and it can cause a lot of headaches. It can cause a lot of, a lot of problems if you grow the wrong way. So as you begin to grow, there's going to be a lot more complexities that are being added to your daily routine and everything that you're trying to manage and juggle. And so that's why I say from the very beginning, set your set your company up to be able to scale. Run it like run it like a fleet when there's just one or two units. Run it like a fleet. Run it very structured and run it very deliberately, um, because what that will do is that will help you to grow smart. You'll have your processes in place. You'll know where your money is going. You'll know how to budget. You'll know how to, how to manage the cash flow and the slow pay situation and have a good factoring company. You have all of this stuff set up. And that way in, in two to three years, when you're, you know, when you're 10 units or 12 units, um, you know, you can, you can scale that appropriately and do it the right way where it's not making you want to pull your hair out. Right. And so, um, Grow deliberately, but do it do it the right way. Um, make sure you have all these processes in place. Hire the right drivers, that type of thing. Um, set yourself and your company up for success. All right, guys. Well, that's all I got. Um, starting a trucking business can be a difficult thing. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of processes, a lot of legal stuff. Um, and so uh, we hope this video helped you. We'd love some feedback from you, some topics that you'd like to cover. Um, if you liked this video, like and subscribe, follow us. Um, we have a Facebook page as well, which is Squatters Trucking Podcast. Um, but guys, we appreciate you. We thank you for for tuning in and watching. Um, well, I would like to throw in a little little note here that if you're if you are starting, you're in. If you are starting a company, you are starting a trucking company, looking to looking to fulfill your dreams, right? Starting your own business. We'd love the opportunity to help you do that. Um, we have a compliance company. We have an insurance agency. Uh, all those things that we can kind of help there in the beginning and help you get started and uh, hopefully help you get started the right way. Um, we have a lot of experience. We've helped a lot of people get started and we'd love to help you too. Um, I'll drop some resources and links below where you can reach out to us if you have any questions anything like that. Um, you know, even if you don't decide to go with us, anything like that, we can bounce questions off of us that you may have. Um, but we'd love the opportunity to help you. Um, but that's all I got today, guys. We appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in Squatch Risk and we'll see you on the next episode.